From coast to coast to coast, you're listening to Terra Informa. Hello and welcome back. I'm Hannah Cunningham. And I'm Elizabeth Dowdell. We'll be your hosts for the next half hour of environmental news from across Canada and around the world. This week on Terra Informa, we have an interview from illustrator and designer Amanda Schutz. You may have seen her nature-inspired artwork and whimsical designs all over Edmonton, particularly at the newly opened Royal Alberta Museum. Terra Informers Charlotte Thomason and Kezia Diaz got the chance to sit down with her and find out about all things lichen. Yep, you heard that right, lichen. From a scholarly McEwen grad to an adventurous graphic designer, Amanda's muse has changed over the years. In the interview, she shares her story of how she began drawing lichen and how it evolved into something even bigger. From wedding themes to scarves, this algae, fungi, and yeast symbiote has inspired her widely through her art and design. But first, we got some headlines for y'all. A new Canada food guide has launched this week with updates to both what Canadians should be eating and how to treat food and meals more socially. Major changes to the guide include three food groups instead of four, a focus on eating plant-based foods, actually using nutrition labels, and being aware of food marketing tactics. Similar to Nordic countries and the Brazilian food guide, the new Canada food guide also suggests eating meals in the company of others. While not explicit, these changes recognize the strong external forces that influence food choices, like marketing and loneliness, along with the negative environmental consequences of producing and consuming animal-based foods. On Tuesday, January 22nd, Climate Justice Edmonton and Indigenous organizers planned and executed a blockade of Jasper Ave and 104th Street. The blockade was organized as a round dance and lasted approximately 45 minutes. The round dance was strategically placed to intercept traffic for the Oilers game that was occurring that night. This round dance protest was in solidarity with the Wet'suwet'en people of Unistoten territory. Their land was forcibly entered in early January by the RCMP in order to continue the construction of the Coastal Gas Link Pipeline, a natural gas pipeline connected to the liquid natural gas projects occurring on the west coast. While the forced entrance to these lands was occurring, there was a media blackout on the operations and reports of signal jamming from people within the lands. While negotiations for road access have occurred between the RCMP and the hereditary chiefs, the chiefs still hold the position of non-consent for the natural gas pipeline on their land and continue to fight the operations in the judicial system with court cases occurring in early February. While many news outlets initially reported the turnout to be, quote, dozens, unquote, of people, the actual attendance was greater than 100 people. While it should be noted that news outlets since have updated their numbers to more accurately reflect attendance. Furthermore, within the last couple weeks, multiple traditional trap lines have been compromised by pipeline construction, an action which the Office of the Wet'suwet'en has argued is against provincial law and has requested that the province of British Columbia issue a cease and desist order. If you're in Edmonton this week and care about water, justice, or good music, come to 9910 this Thursday, February 7th, for a fundraiser show in support of the Keepers of the Athabasca. Keepers of the Athabasca are, quote, First Nations, Métis, Inuit, environmental groups, 
and watershed citizens working together for the protection of water, land, and air, and thus for all living things today and tomorrow in the Athabasca River watershed." End quote. The show features performances from local favorites, Jessica Jalbert, Katie Fisher, John Common, and Feed Dogs. Tickets range from $12 to $25 and are available on Eventbrite. This is an 18 plus event, so sorry folks, but no minors. For more information on the show or the cause, check out the links on our website. So before we get into our interview this week, we're gonna give you a lowdown on lichen. They're not a plant, they're not an animal, they're not a fungus. (laughs) The word lichen comes from the Greek word that means to lick, which is thought to mean what eats around itself. Uh, Naturalist Trevor Goward describes lichen as a kind of subsistence farm in which an algal crop uh, is tended and in turn sustained by a fungal farmer. It's sort of like a system where a couple parts work together. One is the mycobiont, or the fungal partner, and the other is the photobiont, or the photosynthesizing partner. The fungal partner protects the photosynthesizing partner from exposure to intense sunlight or from drying out. The fungal partner also absorbs mineral nutrients from the underlying ground and from the surrounding atmosphere. Then, the photosynthesizing partner synthesizes sugars from carbon dioxide through photosynthesis, so living up to its name. The end result is lichen, a structure where all the different parts are stronger together than they are individually. Cute! We love a mutually beneficial relationship. Did you know that Canadians are nominating lichens to represent each province and territory? Alberta lichen enthusiasts narrow down their top six lichens from a list of more than 1,000 lichens found in our province. Then, Albertans voted for their favorite one that they want to represent this province. Voting is now closed. Did you vote? I hope you did. We don't know the results yet, but we will anxiously await the announcement of the winner and share it with you all. Now, we can head to our interview by our Terra Informers, Charlotte Thomason and Kezia Diaz, who caught up with Amanda Schutz, a graphic designer and a pretty fun gal. So Amanda, tell us a little bit about what Curio is and kind of how it came to fruition. So Curio is a graphic design and illustration studio based here in Edmonton. Um, We've been in operation for, I want to say 15 years. 
I've been in the industry for 20 years this year. So, um, so we've been around for a really long time. Uh, we work with a variety of clientele. A lot of our clients are based in the arts, but we also work in like private se sector, government, things like that. Our skills range from like developing branding, logo design, print design, advertising, and then one thing that's a little bit different about our studio is that we're a team of three and we all are trained illustrators. So illustration is something that is incorporated into a lot of our projects as well. So I guess we will jump to the exhibit at Mina Haggerty. So a few of the Terranformers actually got to go. Unfortunately, Cassie and I did not make it, but they told us really good things. Mm -hmm. And there you kind of had both realistic and kind of more abstract illustrations. How does your process change between those two styles of illustration? I mean, well, to start off, I do think because I'm a working graphic designer, it's something that's expected of me to kind of change my style from time to time based on what the needs of the client is. So I feel like working in the commercial world, that's um, something that's kind of expected of the type of person I am or the type of work I do. So it's uh, familiar for me to change gears. That said, I really wanted to challenge myself with this body of work to produce a wider range of styles and um, you know there's there's quite a difference between working realistically in botanical illustration versus like something that would be more expressive or painterly or something that would be more like rendered as a contemporary illustration or a cartoon. So um, as far as process is concerned, I did a lot of physical observation of the specimens for the realistic drawings. So the lichenologist that I worked with from the Royal Alberta Museum, she provide, provided me physical specimens from the RAM to work from and she loaned me one of their microscopes as well. So I was able to look at things like from, from a real specimen, which I felt was quite helpful. And then I utilized a lot of like books and research to get a capture of each specimen. So that's where a lot of that research came from. And then like as far as like the painterly ones and the patterns that I developed, like those were more, more about color and form and exploring like when you look at a piece of biology, um, you can look at it realistically, but you can also look at it as a breakdown of colors and shapes. So I really wanted to deconstruct the biology and just think about colors and shapes in a more abstract way. So some of the paintings, like you can kind of get a hint of what that species is, but it's more about form and color than it is about capturing it super realistically. So, um, and then when you look at the patterns as well, they're kind of further deconstructed and sometimes even like looking through the microscope, you see them in the, the like the macro level. So like sharing what that form looks like at a thousand times of its size versus what you'd see with the naked eye is what I was trying to capture with some of those too. Awesome. Uh, so still talking about lichen in having a fascination with lichen, what kind of like sparked that specifically? Well, I do have a, like kind of a specific story that started all of this. It's kind of silly, but um, I met my husband and we were like, we got engaged and we were traveling in the mountains to figure out where we wanted to get married. Like we both knew that we wanted to get married in the mountains, so we were looking at different places. And I noticed some lichen that were growing on some rocks near Pyramid Lake. And there were some other areas, too, that had all these lichens. And I was taking photos of them and like, oh, I just didn't really notice these before and felt kind of intrigued by them. So I went home and I was trying to, the wedding 
we plan something super small. There's only like 20 guests. So I wanted to hand make every single person's invitation. So I was trying to figure out, okay, like how will I do this? Like work involved, what should it look like? And I was going through the photos and saw the lichens. So I started like just creating some abstract forms based on what the lichens were that we, we found. And I developed all of these invitations and it just kind of like snowballed and snowballed and snowballed into all of this like personal work I was doing, just playing around with ink and different media. So from there, um, just by accident, uh, Diane's brother was on a board of directors with me for the Graphic Designers of Canada. And he's like, oh, my sister's really into Lycan too. You should talk to her. <laughs> so I emailed her on the, on the fly. And she's like, yeah, you can come here, and I'll talk to you about some Lycan. So then we, we just sat down and talked, and then we came up with this arts grant and I applied for it at the Edmonton Arts Council, and like that funding basically allowed me to create all of the work that was at the gallery show. So that's kind of how it progressed. And now it's like it snowballed into stuff at the Nina, like with the artists at the Nina, and it's like snowballed into other like surface pattern projects and like a million other things I want to do, but that's how it began. <laughs> Would you say that? connection to nature is really prevalent in most of your work or is this kind of like a specific project? I would say that nature has been an underlying theme all along. It's kind of, I find in the last few years, it's kind of bubbling up stronger. And I don't know if there's a real specific reason for that. I feel like at this point in my life, because I have like a young son, he's two, I'm starting to think more about what kind of experiences I want for him. And I feel very passionate about like him connecting with nature and seeing what we have here and like feeling good about his home. Cause we live in old Strathcona and are, like we're in the ravine a lot too. So I think there's some underlying influences that the nature aspects are bubbling up more, but like, you know, I've always grown gardens and, and done stuff, done hiking and all of these sorts of things my whole life. It's just become more prevalent in the last few years. Was there another part of nature that would inspire you to draw um, or design before you decided on lichens? Um, well, I went through a mushroom phase. <laughs> but like who, the, like everyone who's into lichens is probably a little bit into mushrooms too. Like it's kind of parallel worlds. So, so I do think that there's other areas of interest. Like I've done series of, of flowers and stuff like that. Um, and I've done, like, recently after the Lichen Project, I did, like, a small zine about garden recipes that over the summer because, like, my son and I were doing tons of gardening. So really into tomatoes, really into herbs. So I, I don't know. I think that it's just this thing that just keeps on floating along. <laughs> um, how did you get interested in art or what got you interested in art? Um, I've always done like artsy things like as a child I was really into art um, my uncle who's a woodworker he like made me my first like art easel when I was a child so I was always doing art stuff uh, in high school I was always in the art room there's always like students like this I was always in the art room and like not really paying attention to like other curriculum courses just focused on art and just luckily my art teacher at the time he like told me about this design program in Edmonton because I grew up in small town Alberta. He told me about a design program in Edmonton so that kind of got me into like the professional side of doing something career-wise that's related to the arts. Um, but like the fine art stuff has always kind of been on a like parallel project 
projection to like the graphic design stuff as well. So that's kind of how it started. Great. Um, I don't know if you watched The Big Bang Theory at all. A little bit. A little bit. Okay. Well, Sheldon Cooper, one of the the show characters, he he talks about how the lichen would be the perfect species to merge with, um, <laughs> because he can be a fungi algae and a human all together. <laughs> and um, I was wondering if you could pick a species to merge with, what would you be? Like a species of lichen? Or a species of anything? Mm -hmm. Well, I think the merging aspect that, that's part of the joke with Big Bang is that whole like the fungi algae symbiosis thing, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I. Out of all the lichens, my favorite, and Diane will laugh at this, because I think this is her favorite too, so it's maybe a cliche, but there's this one lichen called Powdered Sunshine. It's so beautiful. It's like yeah. this perfect blend of bright, like a chartreuse green, and then the shapes are very ruffly, so it feels like very delicate and almost a little bit feminine, I guess. And I've always, like yellow has always been my favorite color, so. I guess if I were to merge with one, it would be that one. <laughs> As we move through like the different seasons, I'm sure you've been obser observing like lichens around like the River Valley or, mm -hmm. or where you live. Do you see um, more of them or less of them, or do you see any change in, in how they grow? I don't really see any changes in how they grow in my areas in Mil the Mill Creek Ravine, but there are like better times and more difficult times to see them. So if you, if you go in like the, f in the winter, like there's no leaves, so you can see things a little bit more, but things are also covered in snow. I find like a really great time to, to look for lichen is when the snow has melted and like spring hasn't popped, like it hasn't exploded, the leaves haven't popped. And then like, it's just kind of bare, everything's bare, so you can see the lichens. And then like they're, they're getting moist again, they're not like in a dominant, or dormant. what's dormant, <laughs> dormant phase. So you get, like that would say that's the most successful time to see them. But I think also like what I learned from Diane, because she took me out a few times to look for lichen, is like, I just wasn't looking for them. You know, you kind of are wandering through doing your thing and like they're so little and, you know, you aren't, if you aren't spending time looking, then you're just not seeing, right? And that, that works the same as like when you're doing observed drawing, you actually have to like use your eyes and look at things. So now when I go like hiking and walking, I can't not see lichen everywhere because it's something that I notice all the time now. And I just really appreciate that aspect of um, our relationship with nature and being aware and looking. And I think that's part of my obsession with like integrating my son into some of these experiences too, because I want him to see the details and appreciate the details. So, yeah. For sure, okay. Um, a lot of us at Terra Informa love your scarves. <laughs> and um, we all wanna go get one. Um, scarves and wraps go in and out of fashion. Where do you think the next steps in fashion are for scarves? I clearly am not a person <laughs> that can project fashion. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I feel like from what I'm seeing color-wise, like, because we're always looking at color projections in design, and I like to look at color projections in fashion too, just because I've started working with textiles. I think there's going to be 
some more vibrant colors coming in like spring and summer. Like I'm more of a basics kind of girl, black, white, dark green, uh, jean color, that sort of thing. But there's like all of these like really popping colors that are happening right now. So I think there's going to be a bit of that. As far as like pattern is concerned, um, I think that like florals and nature themes have been really strong. Like there's been tons of florals in the last couple of years. So I don't really know. I hope it continues because like that's what I'm into and that's what I'm making. So I want like, I want someone to actually capitalize on it and like want to, you know, buy it too. So I can't tell you, I don't really know. I should know, but I don't. <laughs> so drawing on like work you've been doing with your son and the connection to nature, um, drawing that to the Royal Alberta Museum recently, a lot of illustrations of yours have ended up there to be used as educational tools. So there's different plants and I pretty sure I saw like animal tracks mm -hmm. as well, yeah. which is awesome. That's yeah, wonderful to see Edmonton artists collaborating with Edmonton businesses like the, like the Ram. Um, so the question is, what impact in regards to education and the environment do you hope your work has or is going to have in the Royal Alberta Museum? Um, well, I do think like the majority of the work that I've done and like my team at Curio also participated in some of that work too. Like most of it is situated in the Children's Museum. So there's like grain illustrations with real grains. There's tr different trees with different tree logs. There's the footprints, which are different animal footprints like interwoven with poetry in different languages. And then when you enter the Children's Museum, there's this massive Alberta map um, with a whole bunch of different things. And we created that as a team here at Curio too. So I feel like, you know, that's like ground zero of where learning is happening with age demographics. So um, I feel excited about kids being able to experience, experience such a sensory environment. And there's so many different things to see and do there. And that like um, my visuals play a small part of that experience. Um, and then again, I guess the interactivity of it too, because so many of the things that are happening in that area, and I guess all areas of museums, like it's adult and child, or it's like kids being facilitated on a project with um, an instructor or something. So, I mean, illustration is just one piece of that space. There's like the space design, there's the content, there's like video, there's sound. So I feel like my piece is only one piece, but I'm glad it's there and I'm, I'm so glad it's a permanent thing because like illustration is usually in a magazine or a book and some of that stuff is a more temporary medium. Like those are installed and will probably be there for quite a long time. So um, I can't say that 10 years from now I'm gonna go in there and be like, I love the illustrations I made. <laughs> I probably will want to change them at that point, but I feel glad that it's, a, it's living as a permanent exhibition. It's a, it's, like a, it's a nice feeling to have that accomplishment at this point. Yeah. And definitely giving children a connection to nature in a city. I mean, Edmonton is, I would say, an exceptional city for connection to nature. We have tons of green space in the whole River Valley, but mm -hmm. definitely like giving children that like additional connection, even with the sensory things in the Ram, if they don't have the opportunity to actually like go out into the River Valley, it is like 
really important. Yeah, start kids, start kids young. Like, obviously, I guess, um, yeah, like just appreciating nature and growing up surrounded by it because, mm-hmm. yes, as time goes on and climate is changing, it's definitely important to kind of, I feel, to raise the next generation with that environmental awareness that a lot of us don't have right now. And I think that your work at the RAM is like really working towards that kind of, oh, those kind of goals. Well, and I also think that there's many layers to it as well. We, we've been focusing a lot on the educational side, but like for me, um, the accessibility to the ravine and like connecting with nature has been a huge, well, and even producing art about nature has been a huge tool for me for my mental health as well. And I want my son Jake to understand that that tool is available to him as he grows and like moves through life and deals with stress and deals with challenges, that 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 piece is always there for him to utilize to to keep him feeling like grounded and healthy and happy. So, um, you know, that's a whole other, probably a whole other podcast of discussion, but I do think that there's many layers to what nature offers us. So um, education is one piece, but like the mental health side of it is huge too. Thank you so much for sitting down with us and having a conversation. That was Terra Informers Charlotte Thomason and Kezia Diaz with Amanda Schutz, a graphic designer of the lichen variety. So that's all the time we have for this week. To hear more stories like the one we played today, visit our website at terrainforma.ca where you can listen, share, and subscribe on iTunes. We're also now on Spotify, so check us out there too. Terra Informa is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM, located in Edmonton, Alberta, which is a part of Treaty 6, the historic territory of Cree, Métis, Blackfoot, Dene, and many other First Peoples who continue to live and gather here, and who continue to influence the stories we make and our understanding of the land around us. If you have any questions or comments, send us an email to Tara at cjsr.com or tweet at Tara Informa. A big thank you to our contributors this week, Charlotte Thomason, Carter Grozitsa, Sophia Osborne, and Olivia DeBorsier. I've been your host, Elizabeth Dowdell. And Hannah Cunningham. Thank you for listening and catch you next week right here on Tara Informa. Informa.